We're going to read the whole chapter of Genesis 28. This is God's word. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there, of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you, and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples, and give you the blessing of Abraham to you, and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Paddan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Paddan Aram, to take himself a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge, saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Paddan Aram. Also Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So so Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajoth, to be his wife, in addition to the wives he had. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, And its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid. And said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning. And took the stone that he had put at his head. Set it up as a pillar. And poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city had been Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me. And will keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. 
and of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Well, amen. We end there at the end of chapter 28, and we thank God that he blesses us when we read his truth. Let us pray before we come to think about these verses together. Our gracious God, we thank you for the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. We thank you especially today for this story of Jacob. And we pray that you would help us, each one of us, to understand what you are teaching us. We know that we need the help of the Holy Spirit. We are slow to understand and we are slow to believe. And so we ask, O God, that today, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak to each one of us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was last Tuesday evening at the Presbytery Academy. Uh, The Reverend McClure was speaking to us about the fall of Adam into sin. And I was struck once again by Adam's reaction when he realised he had sinned. Uh, the boys and girls, the young people will know what Adam and Eve did whenever they sinned. Don't you know what they did? They, they realized they were naked and they tried to cover it up. They sewed together fig leaves and they tried to cover up and to hide their sin. They tried to hide from God. And that's one reaction I think that most of us have when it comes to sin. I know that anytime I've done something that I know I shouldn't have done and I'm in danger of getting caught out, my first instinct is to try and tell a lie. Tell a lie to get out of it, to get myself off the hook. I'm sure, boys and girls, you've maybe done something like that. Have you ever done anything you shouldn't do? I remember a friend of ours, uh, they were the first in our friendship group to have children, and I remember hearing a story about their daughter uh, drawing all over the walls with her crayons. And whenever she realised that it wouldn't come off the wall, she hid the crayons. I wonder if anybody here has ever done anything like that. That's what we find Jacob doing in our passage today. He's running. He's trying to get away from the consequences of his sin. He has done terrible things. He has lied. He has cheated. And he has stolen. And because of this, His brother has said, Esau has said, he will kill him. And so Jacob is on the run. It's a result of his own sin and he's on the run. But as he's running away from home, as he's running away from his mother, who he'll never see again, as he's running away, God comes to Jacob. God comes to Jacob in a most spectacular way. He comes to Jacob in pure and unadulterated grace. Jacob has done terrible things. There is no way that Jacob deserved to meet with God. There's no way that Jacob deserved to hear from God, and there is certainly no way that he deserved to receive a blessing from God. And yet, that's what happens for Jacob. I'm sure many of us here have heard wonderful testimonies of of how God broke into someone's life. Maybe someone who was addicted to drugs or alcohol. Maybe somebody who's done terrible things. But because of God's grace, because of God's forgiveness through Christ, they're 
their life has been turned upside down. Well, that's what we have here. That's what we have in the story of Jacob. This story is about someone who has done horrible, terrible things and about how God breaks into his life and turns it upside down. And I think this is a helpful story for us to hear today because I'm sure there are people here and I, and I don't know for certain, but I would guess there are people here who are racked with guilt. You're racked with guilt over something you have done. There are things in your past that haunt you and keep you awake at night. And you wonder, can I ever be forgiven? Well, I want to assure you today that the gospel of grace is good news. Because this is a story about a man who is running from his sin and yet God broke in to give him promises and to give him blessings that he did not in any way deserve. And friends, that is grace. That is what grace is. One commentator I read this week said this about this passage. This is a supreme display of divine grace, unsought and unstinted. Unsought because Jacob was no pilgrim or returning prodigal, yet God came to meet him. Jacob wasn't seeking God. But God came to meet him and it is unstinted for there was no word of reproach, no demand, only a stream of assurances flowing from the central I am the Lord, spread from the past to the distant future, from the spot where Jacob lay to the four corners of earth and from his person to all mankind. So this passage today is a wonderful picture, a wonderful example of God's divine grace. God's grace towards sinners like me and like you who try to run away and hide. Do have your Bibles open as we look at this passage together. I do have a couple of observations I, I want to mention before the first, uh, in the first section before moving to verses 10 to 22 and, and Jacob's dream. First, I want you to notice that Jacob is running away from the consequences of his sin. He's, he's fleeing from the, the bloodthirst of Esau. But don't there seem to be some green shoots in the start of this passage? In the midst of the disaster and difficulty, there are some green shoots of hope. First of all, there's Isaac's recognition that Jacob should be blessed. In verses 3 and 4, Isaac finally, willingly blesses his son. He, he passes on the blessing of Abraham to Jacob. And so although Jacob is running from Esau, it does seem that his father, and remember it's his father who he lied to, it's his father who he cheated, and it's his father who he stole the birthright from. His father, Isaac, is willing to offer reconciliation. And he acknowledges that the blessing of Abraham does indeed belong to the younger son. Isaac's blessing is not insignificant. There are words here that will be repeated in the blessing that God gives Jacob later in the passage. But one I, I think perhaps that could be overlooked is the word assembly. 
Isaac blesses Jacob to be an assembly of peoples. This is the first time that this word is used in the Old Testament. And it will come to be the word that is used for the gathering of the church. In other words, I think we can infer that Isaac is blessing Jacob to grow into a family of people who gather as the church to praise and to worship God. Now, we know that this family line will have many difficulties, but we also know that Jacob one day will be given the name Israel. And thus, Jacob is the father of the Old Testament people of God. And the children of Israel is often how we describe the church under the Old Testament. And so the blessing of Isaac is accurate and true here. There are green shoots in the midst of disaster. Isaac is willing to be reconciled to his son Jacob. This family, devastated by sin, torn apart, and and they won't see each other again. Yet there is hope. Even in how Moses, Moses wrote the book of Genesis. Look at how Moses speaks about Rebekah in verse 5. Previously, Rebekah is described as the mother of Jacob. But now it's recognised that she is the mother of Esau and Jacob. In other words, it's the beginning, it's only the beginning, but at least from the parents' point of view, this family is beginning to come back together. I want to offer this as as a word of hope to many of you here today. Because it might be that you have a child or you have a brother or a sister who's like Jacob. Someone who has sinned again and again. They've broken your heart. They've caused damage in your family. So I want you to see that at the beginning of this passage, there are green shoots of hope for the salvation of Jacob. And those green shoots come through parents who are willing to swallow the hurt and to reach out in reconciliation. Now, it's not all solved here. It's not like that and it's it's fixed. Jacob still leaves. And that might be the same for you. Maybe you have to do what you can in reconciliation and then in prayer, give your child to the Lord in the hope that As God does for Jacob, God will break into their life. But there can be green shoots in the midst of disaster. The second thing I want to point out before we dig into the the dream of Jacob is about Esau. In this story, we, we get this wee section about Esau and it's a sorry tale of a man. He just wants to please people. He never gives a thought to God. But he wants to please people. He, he realises that marrying a Canaanite woman has been displeasing to his parents. His response is not a godly response. Even the boys and girls will know the expression that two wrongs don't make a right. But that's what Esau tries to do. He tries to take another wife for himself. But he can't get that right either. He chooses a woman from among the Ishmaelites. And the Ishmaelites are a, a line whom God has rejected. But you can see that Esau is just striving, isn't he, for love and acceptance from his parents. He goes about it in the wrong ways. He tries through his efforts to to prove his worth to his parents. It's really sad. Mom and dad, am I good enough yet? 
Esau's insecurity leads to more negative results. And, and that can be the way it is with insecurity. Insecurity can lead to all kinds of bad results in our lives. What is the right response? What should we do? Well, I would suggest to you that if you are like Esau and you feel insecure that you are loved and accepted by other people, that you should worry less about their love and acceptance and that you should know for sure and for certain that you are infinitely loved by God, that you are totally and completely accepted in Jesus. Through Jesus, you are loved so completely that he hasn't asked for anything from you, but he has given all that he is. <coughs> Instead of saying to you, I, I will accept you when you've married the right person or anything like that, Jesus says, I accept you because of who I am and what I have done. You do not need to perform to be accepted by God. Out of his great love for you, his infinite love, he sent his son to die upon the cross so that you could be brought into perfect, complete and eternally secure acceptance. And that leads us then onto Jacob's dream. Moses, I think, intends for us to see the contrast between Esau and Jacob. Esau is doing all he can to win back approval of his parents, but Jacob, by doing nothing, he finds out that he is totally and completely accepted by God. There are two aspects of Jacob's dream that change his life forever, where God breaks into a lying, cheating thief who is fleeing from his sin. Two things are the presence of God and the promises of God. Jacob heads out on his own. He's a lonely, wandering sinner. He's fleeing from the consequences of his own sin. But when he stops to sleep, God breaks into his life. And I think I have to reiterate, Jacob was not looking for God. He was not seeking God. But nonetheless, God intervened. God showed up in a dream where Jacob saw a ladder set up. And the top of the ladder was reaching heaven and there were angels of God ascending and descending on it. And so Jacob learns a very important truth about who God is. God is present. He is not absent from our world. He is active in our world. God didn't set the world in motion and, and then step back like a, like a man winding up a watch and then stepping back from it. No, God is present. He is active in the world. See verse 13, the Lord stood above Jacob. Jacob is immediately and intimately aware of God's presence with him. And I think this is a really significant point because remember what Jacob's trying to do. He's running. He's trying to get away. And he could get away from his brother. And he could get away from his family. And he could get away from the place that reminded him of his sin. But he couldn't run from God. I'm reminded of the words of Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. 
If I take the wings of the morning and dwell on the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. You know, for the Christian person, God's presence is a wonderful comfort when we're facing difficulty and trouble. God is with us as we sang in the valley of the shadow of death. King David knew that as a great comfort. But I can't help but thinking, is this a point of conviction for Jacob rather than a point of comfort? At least in the beginning. He's running from his sin. He's trying to get away from it. But God's presence is with him always. Just as the fig leaves were not sufficient to keep Adam and Eve's sin from God, Jacob cannot hide from God. And friends, neither can we. We can't hide from God. Perhaps there's, perhaps there's some secret sin in your life at the moment. And you're doing a very good job of hiding it from your family and from your friends. But let me assure you, God knows. You cannot hide from God. And maybe... Maybe right now, in this moment, God is convicting you of your sin. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. He's here in the midst of us by his Holy Spirit. And so we can't run away. Running will not work. You can't outrun God. Instead, you must face up to your sin, repent of it, and receive forgiveness from Christ. A forgiveness that only God can offer. The presence of God for Jacob and for you today brings conviction. It requires confession, but then it offers cleansing. It offers cleansing from sin. And we see that in the second part of Jacob's dream, the promises of God. Again, I want you to notice that these promises are entirely unconditional. God offers blessings to Jacob as an act of pure, unadulterated grace. There are repetitions of the promises made to Abraham, promises of descendants and land. And we've already noted the land promise is extended throughout the whole world, from the east to the west and the north to the south. The promise of a people is that Jacob's seed, through his seed, all the families on earth will be blessed. And we know, we know that this is a promise that finds its fulfillment in the person of Jesus. He is the seed of Jacob. Through his life, his death, his resurrection, God has brought blessing to all the world in the full and free offer of the gospel. And so, in fact, that this promise that's made to Jacob is actually being fulfilled here today. As Jesus is offered to you. Jesus is offered to you today as the, the only one who can remove your sin and bring you everlasting life. Well then notice in the last part of God's promise, verse 15, God promises his presence as a very good thing. His presence will be with Jacob always to keep him wherever he goes. God will be watching over him and will not leave him. The presence of God which once brought conviction, now brings comfort. Great comfort. God's unhindered blessing comes to Jacob in pure grace. Jacob has done nothing to deserve this. 
It comes because of who God is, because of his great love. And that's the same grace that is on offer to you today. Well, I want to move things to a close, but I do have one more P. I I couldn't just leave you with two Ps. We had to have three Ps. I want to point to the place of God. After he wakes up, Jacob names the place Bethel. (coughs) Bethel means house of God. The ladder is a significant part of that. The, the ladder reaches up into heaven. And, and it's, it's the opposite of the Tower of Babel. You, you remember the Tower of Babel? That's a place where people try to build their way up to God. A ladder is something that has been let down from heaven to earth. The ladder of Bethel is the place where God comes down to earth. Where heaven meets earth. In the New Testament, Jesus describes himself as the ladder. In in John 1, speaking to Nathanael, Jesus said, You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Jesus is the ladder. There's not a a distinct piece of land in the Middle East where, where Jacob slept one night and set up a pillar the next day. The place where we meet with God is in and through the one in whom both the presence and the promises of God are manifest in this world, the person of Jesus Christ. In Jesus, the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. He is Bethel. Jesus is the house of God. And so it might be wonderful, and I think it would be wonderful to to maybe go on a trip to the Middle East and, and see the place where Jacob slept, We don't need to do that to meet with God. We meet with God here and now. As we gather in the name of Jesus around his word in the power of the Holy Spirit, we are the body of Christ. And so when we're gathered in worship like we are right now, we are in Bethel, the place where God's presence and God's promises are most clearly given to us in Jesus is here and now with the assembly of God's people, the Israel of God. We embody the promise that was made to Jacob and his descendants because here we are at the far edges of the world from where Jacob was given these promises and yet we have the blessings of God. It is here that God breaks into this world both to convict us and to comfort us. This is the place where God meets with his people. And that's why this is the best place on earth. There's nowhere else we should want to be today. From the youngest to the oldest, this is where God meets with us through his word and spirit. And maybe you came here today and you were like Jacob. And you didn't expect to hear from God, let alone be confronted with your sin in his presence. As Jacob lay down that night to sleep, he was, he was running from his sin. He did not mean to run into God. You can see in verse 16, Jacob wasn't expecting that God would be there. But that's exactly where God was. So maybe you're as surprised as Jacob that God is here today. Maybe you've been coming to church your whole life and 
and you didn't expect anything else this morning than an hour of sitting, standing, and singing. But to your surprise, God has been speaking to you about your sin. Maybe he's been convicting you. Can I urge you today not to ignore it? You can't run from him. Have your conviction turned into comfort by trusting in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us.